Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, we're going to talk about veterinary support staff suicides. Is this a problem we're not discussing? This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we are going to tackle a tough topic, and that deals with suicide. So at the outset, if you are in any way triggered or concerned or disinterested or somehow this isn't for you, then please feel free to listen to another one of our podcast episodes. But before we get into all of that, as always, I'm your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And this week is a really tough episode to talk about, but it's an important topic. And we regularly say we tackle the toughest topics. So here we are. And this week's episode got started basically because we've had a recent tragic event here in North Carolina. The beginning of the month, we lost a veterinary technician here in North Carolina by the name of Amanda Ryan. And she died by suicide at work. And it has been a huge affecting thing for the industry. And this movement has actually started to travel nationwide. If you haven't already seen the Facebook page, it's hashtag the fighting blues for Amanda. Her coworkers started a movement of wearing blue to remember and honor her, but also to start a conversation around not just, not just suicide in the veterinary industry, but specific to support staff. And I think this is a topic that is near and dear to all of our hearts too. Um, I know, at least in my experience, I have had two veterinary support team members just in my short career uh, attempt suicide. Uh, And it's, I think, a problem that we have a lot of data on on the veterinary side of things, but there isn't anybody out there doing studies and getting the numbers on how much this is affecting our support staff. Yeah, and I think that's what we want to discuss today is the unknown, the undiscussed issue of mental health, depression, and potentially suicide in our support staff. And so, Becky, let's just kick it off by saying, okay, it happens. We have data on the prevalence of suicide in the veterinary profession, in the medical profession, in the nursing profession, the human nursing profession, but yet nobody really is tracking it for veterinary technicians. Why is that? Yeah, you know, I I don't know if I have a very good answer for that, other than I think a lot of times we're just not studied that much. Some of it is the lack of formality of our profession, right? I mean, we don't have a clear data set of what makes up a veterinary technician on a nationwide basis because the laws don't regulate us the same nationwide. So when you look at a veterinarian on a nationwide level, it involves a very specific data set as far as amount of education, you know, and the things that go into being in that box. But support staff cover a huge variety of people, individuals, job tasks, and and actually credentialing because we know that there are states that don't require a credential to be a veterinary technician. There are a lot of practices that don't, you know, require the credential to call you a veterinary technician regardless of the state laws. And there are a lot of factors, I think, that are going into this, but I really think it's just because of that that lack of knowing exactly what the data set looks like. The staff that we work with, that we depend on and rely on, they experience much of the same mental trauma and stress that we do, and yet very little resources to help them with it. Yeah. And and one of the things that had concerned me, though, I think some, some of these things are changing, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I was part of the AVMA Future Leaders Group 
that was tasked with doing a project on giving wellness resources to the entire veterinary team. And at that time, the AVMA was building a wellness coalition. Um, We had a wellness pledge that we were having people sign, and we invited leaders from NAVTA and from the Veterinary Hospital Managers Association to come and sign that wellness pledge as well. And as we were talking with AVMA leadership about making sure that individuals from those organizations were included in AVMA programs to help with wellness, um, there was some discussion around the fact that AVMA is there to serve its you know, paid membership, which is veterinarians, and whether or not by extending uh, that task force to our support team members, was it fulfilling its mission? And which seems so counterintuitive to me because in our wellness every day in the practice, we all lean on each other so much. If we're not mentally and physically healthy, we don't have as good interactions with each other. We don't perform as well at work. We know our patients suffer. And then that that just hurts everybody else around us. So So I think it's naive for us to forget how dependent we are on each other. Yeah, and naive is putting it nicely and mildly because the reality is it's one of those issues that we need to discuss more openly because, Cindy, if we know this, you and I have been in practice for some time. If we've got a staff member who is depressed, who is just not fully present, who isn't giving their all, losing enthusiasm and joy, then it brings the whole team down. So, I mean, you're right. This 100% impacts the entire team and the profession. And I think the AVMA should definitely be doing more to reach out to our counterparts. But Becky, let's get back to this. This is really why this veterinary nurse initiative, the unionization, the whatever, somehow coalescing around common nomenclature, titling, and education. That's why this is so important. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And um, you know, recently, actually, it's it's just now coming out. NAFTA has created a wellness task force, and there is a wellness task force being implemented, overseen by NAFTA to ensure that support team members are getting the support that they need. And they have um, there's several other organizations out there that, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later that help provide that. But it's it's exactly right. We've got to start looking ourselves as a organized profession that takes care of each other and that is becoming structured in a way that is producing positive outcomes and that is actually doing something other than just existing and being like, hey, we're here. What do we really need to do to improve the lives of veteran technicians and support staff members? And this is where we've got to start. Well, Cindy, I'd like to bring it back to that AVMA wellness initiative. And I, again, want to always thank you for inviting me to participate and and share my uh, perspective on that and be a little small part of that, that program. But here, here was some of the discussion that I was hearing from, you know, my side of, of the veterinary profession ledger. And it went like this. It was like, okay, listen, here's the deal. Uh, the support staff, they don't have the ultimate responsibility that the veterinarians do. So whether you're an associate, an owner, uh, a partner, you know, we're the ones who have to shoulder the heavy burden because at the end of the day, the client is angry with us. The legal system is against us. It's all on us. And I think, again, as you mentioned, that's a bit naive because... Okay, just because we are legally perhaps responsible for the ultimate care of that pet patient, that doesn't mean that the emotional burden isn't also shouldered by our support staff. Absolutely. And and when, at least when we look at the human nursing profession, what we find is that when there's stress in an organization and you have people who have authority but maybe feel a little bit more limited in the, the actual power they have to make change happen, is a lot of the kind of emotional abuse 
and uh, stress ends up getting loaded on them. And so they find that in, in the human field, that ends up being loaded onto the nurses in that profession too. And, and I think, Becky, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. We've even proposed some educational programs to some of the big conferences about how often vet techs get stuck in the middle, where they're the ones having the money discussion with the client, where they're the ones kind of getting vented the the doctor's frustration when things don't go as planned. I, I think a lot of that emotional load fa- falls on the text. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's upsetting to hear, you know, the blowback from veterinarians saying, you know, well, it, it comes down on us. And, and I understand that. But it's sort of like you can't walk a mile. You know, you have to walk that mile in someone's shoes to know. And I, I think to myself, well, like, I know you're making the decisions, but a lot of times we're the ones carrying them out. And if we mess that up and if we do it wrong and what happens if the patient has a bad reaction to the decision that you made, but we're the one that executed it, um, even if you were the one that decided that was the drug we were going to do or the procedure we were going to do. I think the veterinary support staff are the ones that feel like they failed if it was administered and things went wrong. And to me, one of the, you know, I think of comparing it to to having more sympathy for military decision makers in, you know, government than the actual boots on the ground is what it sort of seems right. like to me. It's a comparison and saying is if politicians could come out and say, you know, well, it's more stressful to be us than to be serving on the ground because we're the ones that have to make the decisions. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, but what about the ones, you know, sleeping in the sand? And that seems like an extreme comparison, but that's sort of what it feels like to me where, we don't have a lot of say in the decisions that are made all the time and we're carrying them out. And a lot of times, you know, we do depending on on the culture at work, but everyone is affected. Everyone cares. Everyone is trying hard in the practice. And so to say anyone has it worse or anyone has it harder or anyone has it more stressful, it's it seems really unfair. Right. And the one thing I'd like to to remind listeners, especially if you're a veterinary professional, is that when we look at substance abuse, when we look at drug, you know, pilfering. <laughs> we look at, you know, stealing prescriptions and all that sort of stuff that's really led us to this opioid epidemic problem that we're facing. I mean, our support staff are sometimes involved with that. So it's really important to take note that, okay, while we may say we shoulder the legal burden and responsibility of these issues, but the reality is it's falling on our staff. And sometimes they're now developing habits to try to cope with it because they aren't getting any support or guidance from us as leaders. I you know, I, I will tell you, Becky, this is one of those issues where we have got to come together and it, it transcends legal boundaries, in my opinion. And we've got to, as a profession, be willing to say, OK, who is everybody involved in this ecosystem and how can we help them all? Yeah. And Becky, I thought you made such a good point, which is that it's not about degree. Like none of us is going to needs to s- sit there and say, like, well, I have it worse than you. Like, well, I want to commit suicide more than you do. Like, that's just crazy talk, right? Um, Yeah, we might all experience it for different reasons and in different ways. But if we start helping each other out, we're all going to benefit. So I I think that kind of thinking is definitely counterproductive um, versus, yeah, let's all be looking out for each other and let's all be modeling healthier behavior for sure. That's exactly right. And you know, I, I know I say it so often here on this podcast, is it, but it's it's a matter of making sure we create safe cultures and places where people can be vulnerable. And sometimes when you're in an environment and you're in a space where you can't feel vulnerable, um, sometimes we don't let those feelings out and we don't allow the vulnerability to show. And, and then people can overlook the warning signs. And um, there are oftentimes a lot of warning signs out there. And one of the things that was brought to my attention in this particular case with this individual who we lost here in North Carolina was that 
she had stopped talking about her depression. So there was some feeling that she was doing better and that things were going well. And unfortunately, it seems maybe more like she had stopped talking about it because there was already a plan. And so we have to create an environment and a culture where we don't stop talking. Right. And Becky, that was some of the press that, that came out that she seemed to be doing fine. You know, she had had some struggles in the past and her team really was surprised when this happened. At least that's the story that was getting out. Sure. And I haven't had the opportunity to speak directly with her coworkers at Carolina Veterinary Specialists in Charlotte. And I'm, I, we've been all been active on this Facebook page. And so we've heard a lot from them. Um, and hindsight is, is 2020 irregardless. But you're exactly right. There was a lot of shock and, and a lot of sadness because the important thing to remember is you're loved. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you're loved. Someone loves you and people care about you. And when you stop seeing that and you stop feeling that, it's time to get help. And sometimes the people around us, I think most often the people around us who are the strongest and look like they're doing great are the ones that are hurting. Yeah. And if you are listening today and you're just losing that joy, you're, you're, you're dealing with depression or compassion fatigue or any of a variety of ailments and, and conditions that we've discussed here in, in depth on the, on the show. I mean, start talking to people. I mean, the first step is just to, to tell somebody to say, Hey, you know, I'm not feeling like this, or I, I need some help or help me, you know, regain some enthusiasm. It's not hard to take that first step. That's right. And if you don't know where to go for that, I mean, we do know there are veterinary resources out there you guys can talk about, but they are out there for technicians and for support staff. Um, One of the first ones I want to mention and know of is one that is run by Veterinary Support Personnel Network and Charlotte Wack, and that is Support for Support. They do have a Facebook page. They do some group meetings. They do a lot of activity. And so if you are looking for a place to feel supported and to be supported, that's one of them. Um, Jade Velasquez also has a Facebook page um, for vet techs or veterinary support staff unleashed where people can sort of just vent out their issues, ask questions. And now this hashtag, the fighting blues for Amanda, there's a lot of conversation going on there of how do we help each other and what do we do? So those are really important resources I want to make sure you guys have. We can put links up on the webpage. Make sure you're going out there and finding that support well before it's a a problem for you, even if it's just a bad day and you need to just vent it out out there. And having been there myself, having been in some places where, you know, I had a a lot of suicidal ideation myself, um, when you're in that place, your brain absolutely lies to you and you feel trapped and you feel like it's not safe to reach out to other people because you think something bad is going to happen if you do that. You feel like, if I talk about this, I'm somehow going to get blacklisted in my profession. Or if I talk about this, I'm going to alienate the people who care about me, who are going to get tired of talking to me about this. And it can feel so exhausting. And that's, I think, one of the reasons you can seem on the outside like things are so normal is because you're worried about setting off that trap. But um, having been there, um, just even the smallest thing that you can do, whether it's reaching out anonymously through some of those online groups, almost all of them have a way for you to get in contact with moderators to at least share your story. Um, Whether that's, again, um, the National uh, Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK, just starting that conversation with the smallest step that you can make. The more you reach out, the more you're going to find that there are people there who want to support you. And, And for me, it was a matter of saying, 
right now, I'm one of those folks in our profession. I'm one of those veterinarians right now who's on the edge and it all feels like it's about to come tumbling down. And that was a signal um, for for those around me. And and people started helping. And it was amazing how they helped things get easier and take some of those burdens away. And the things that I was scared were going to start coming tumbling down. Um, it was it was exactly the opposite, and people were glad and happy to be able to help. So so please reach out. Right. I mean, it, it is just taking that first step. I know it can be overwhelming and frightening and intimidating, and you feel threatened, but it is the right thing. And once you do take that step, you're going to be surprised at how the world opens up and cradles you. Uh, yeah. Also, I'm going to speak right now to the owners and the managers out there. I mean, this is on us. You know, as a longtime practice owner, and of course, Laura, my wife, being a practice administrator, you've got to be attentive to this stuff. You've got to be paying close attention to what's happening with your staff. And when appropriate, you need to step up and say, hey, is everything okay? How can I help? And in my career, we have certainly helped out many, many individuals. There are are many that we were unable to help. Um, But the reality is, if you're going to be a good steward of your team, this is part of it. And, and you know, I, I talk a lot to owners and managers like, oh, gosh, there's no way, man. You know, that's just asking for a lawsuit. You start asking people if they're depressed or whatever. I'm going to fall on the other side of this one every single time. I am willing to risk whatever uh, potentially offending. And I look, I've had it go all different ways. Laura and I have, have talked to people, say, hey, is, is there anything we can help with? You know, is there anything in your life that, that maybe we can assist? Um, and we've had everything from get the hell away from me to, you know, yes, there's this thing that's happening and I need your help. But, but if you're a manager, if you're an owner and you're listening to this, I think it's 100% our responsibility. And, you know, I think we need to take it more seriously. And there's some great resources. The AVMA has been um, making QPR, question, persuade, refer training available for free. I believe they still have some free training available. It takes about a half hour, but essentially it's, triage training, um, you know, certainly none of us are going to be mental health care professionals, but it's going to talk to you about some of those initial warning signs and some of the ways that you can non-judgmentally reach out to people and frankly, just ask them, you know, Hey, it sounds like you're in a really dark place. Have you been thinking about taking your own life? And as, as scary as that can sound, you're not going to plant the idea in somebody's head, but you're maybe going to create a release valve for them to feel like, I can talk to somebody about this and you can get some more idea about how much danger they're in, just like you would triage a patient and figure out um, how much of an emergency they're in and and how much care they need right at that moment. So definitely check that out. Becky, let me ask you this. So so I think Cindy and I would probably agree that if I'm talking to another vet, I'm more comfortable saying, hey, what's going on? But when it comes to the support staff, the distance there, the difference in credentialing, experiences, whatever, you know, the authority role, why, how can we help listeners overcome that barrier and say, I don't care if you are a veterinarian, a manager or whatever, and you've got a person working in your kennel that you need to feel comfortable talking to them about mental health. I know. And sometimes, and, and I know I've said this phrase so many times, that there's room for everyone. I think we kind of feel like very vulnerable in the support staff role. I think there just sometimes feels like if we're not conforming to the norms, if we're not 100% in these shame culture practices, in the way that we deal with conflict, that people feel like they have to be perfect. They have to be perfect all the time. And if they show any of that vulnerability, they're going to be cold more than they're going to be embraced. And so we have to change that mentality and make sure that we know it's an embracing culture, not a calming culture. And that perfection 
is boring and there's no need to be there. And so I think for support staff, it is being kind to each other, being patient with each other and being secure in who we are and what we do and showing each other that it's it's okay and it's a safe place. And we kind of all feel that way sometimes. And we understand and we can move through it. But also, what can we do environmentally to improve that feeling? What's the burden that's driving you this way? Because what we know is mental health, you know, there's chemical and there's emotional and there's a combination. And when it comes to true forms of depression and anxiety, sometimes there are chemical imbalances that just truly need professional assistance, medication assistance, whatever it is, it's got to be addressed professionally and then supported externally. Cindy, what about in vet school? I mean, I, I know you and I can only really speak about the veterinary school experience, but you know, I know when I'm going to schools now, there's a lot more open discussion around mental health and depression and, and even suicide and substance abuse, uh, certainly different than 30 years ago when I was in veterinary school. But are you seeing the same type of, of transition in the profession? So I do think there is a lot more discussion about mental health. I One thing I get concerned about and I talk about quite a bit is what we call the hidden curriculum. And so this is a problem in, in human healthcare too. They find something like, you know, over half of medical school students experience some kind of um, emotional or physical abuse through the course of their medical education, which is appalling. And even at one of the major schools that has studied this and tried to put programs into place to prevent it, they found 13 years of changes. It, it's been pretty resistant to change, especially as new residents come in. Um, and so as much as we're talking about wellness and talking to people about taking care of themselves, I think it's really hard when then you have professors who are very stressed. They have a lot of demands on their time to be in the clinics, to be um, you know, writing a lot of papers, to be teaching. And then are they taking that stress out on students? Um, so what are we saying to students versus then what are we teaching them? And then how does that play out into how they then act when they go into the profession? And does that help them um, stay well? Because I think what I talk about to students a lot is what habits are they building now? For me, when I got out into the profession right. and I actually had some free time after studying and studying and studying and working and working, I honestly didn't know what to do with myself. Um, so I, I think we could be doing more to not just talk about wellness, but to model wellness through the educational experience. And, and Becky, I don't know if that's something that you feel um, in the vet tech experience too through training. I just, I don't think it's a conversation that's happening in school quite as much as it is. And I, I digress us back to the beginning of this episode in that I just don't think we're talking about it with support staff members and we're not focusing on it with support staff members as much. And I think it does play to a lot of what Dr. Ernie said in the beginning where veterinarians have that legal basis. They have the decision-making basis and there's... Um, you know, I've said it before, you know, when you're a veterinary technician and you go to school and you get your license and you get out in the industry and you think this isn't for me, we have a lot easier exit strategy, I feel like, than a veterinarian who's bogged down with the debt that they have and, and the overall fact of saying this isn't what I wanted to do. When a veterinary technician leaves the field and says, you know what, this isn't what I want to do, I'm, I'm going to go 
work at Starbucks, make more money, make better benefits, and get some college tuition help. We're all like, good on you. We get it. We feel you. Come back with your dogs. We can't wait to see you. There's no shame in that, right? Like, we don't blame anybody for not wanting to do what we do for a living. But when veterinarians do that, they have a very different response, right? It's like a you failed at your life decision thing. And so there is such a dividing line there, but it comes down to understanding that everyone has an important role here and that their heart is in the right place for all the right reasons, but it affects everyone differently. Yeah. And I think it's really important to bear in mind, and this is some of that frustration that goes back to the ABMA wellness initiative. Although, listen, I applaud everything. It's moving in the right direction. There's been a, you know, some renewed momentum around that, but, but, but still, you know, that's my job here is to, to point out where it can be better. But, but, but we're also assuming that our support staff somehow should be getting this somewhere else. So like if you're a vet tech, you should be getting that in the vet tech school. If you're a vet, get in vet school. But most of our staff don't go to either. Most of our staff came from Starbucks or The Gap or something, right? So those people, how do we reach them, Cindy? I mean, unless we really systematically address this, you know, we have to give better tools to the veterinary team, whether that's management, owners, veterinarians, you know, I mean, how, how do we reach the, the kennel help? For example. Absolutely. And and again, I think the AVMA is headed in the right direction. That particular project that, that you and I worked on um, in that future leaders group, we created a, a toolkit for practices to bring more wellness into their workplaces. And it includes some emergency resources like that. Um, it also includes uh, information about doing wellness rounds or just emotional rounds with your team. Um, we have started talking about doing that in our practice to check in and say, hey, are you a, a green, a yellow, or a red this morning to get uh, the emotional temperature of who could use some extra help that day, who might need to sit down and, and have a conversation that day. Um, but that can be found at www.avma.org slash workplace wellness. And again, I think we're going to have a bunch of different links for a lot of the resources we've talked about in the show notes um, when we're done. Yeah. So Becky, again, just as we sort of wrap this up, this team experienced a severe trauma and they, I think they did something pretty remarkable they went public and they've started this program. So maybe you could offer some advice from that experience on if you have experienced this in your personal life, like maybe how you could turn it into a positive thing, if that's possible. Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. Is it possible? And I think part of it is removing the stigma and talking about it. And I think that's the first thing that they did. There, there is no shame. They're saying Amanda was loved. Amanda was amazing. Amanda was a hard worker and she had so much support around her and it was still not enough. And so we have to do better. And I, I am so proud of them for doing that and for this loss becoming an, an opportunity to talk and to take a lot of the shame out of that. And so um, for for me, I think if there is a experience in your life and, and you've had this sort of trauma or you've had these feelings or you you've maybe had attempts in your life, talking about it is the most important thing in sharing. And I think the other thing to turn it into something positive is is very much like Dr. Cindy said, um, don't be afraid to say, how are you doing? And Cindy, what about how we talk about it? You know, I know that when, when Dr. Sylvia Yen um, died by suicide, there was a lot of of discussion around like, how do we refer to this? Like, you know, did she commit suicide? Did she die by suicide? Did she have suicide? I mean, you know, there's a lot of 
a lot of just, you know, I think very nuanced language discussions, but do you have any advice? So in those ensuing years, like how we should talk about tragedies like this? Yeah. Well, and, and I think first of all, the, one of the biggest things is just being willing to talk about it in, in the first place. Cause I think right. for, a, for, there are still, um, I know even just within the past couple months, I know folks who have committed suicide or have died by suicide, committed suicide, that their families don't feel comfortable talking about it. So I think starting with that discussion, um, when we are talking about folks who have, um, depression, anxiety. I suffer from generalized anxiety. Being able to recognize that this is a disease just like any other disease and that if it becomes a life-threatening disease, that we should be supportive and willing to talk about it and being willing to help just like any other life-threatening disease. Um, The reason why I think the preferred term these days is to talk about dying by suicide is because for so many of these people, you know, this is something that they're extremely it's it's under a, you're under so much pain and suffering that this is what this disease is causing uh, to have happen it's not something that people are excited about it's not something that people want to do um it most of these people are thinking about those who love them um but they are they just the the amount of suffering that they're experiencing is just so overwhelming that it it drives them to do this anyway and you know one other thing I want to point out when I when I think about support staff members and sort of why I feel that they're underserved, it unfortunately comes back to economic strain. And I think about so many veterinary support staff members who don't have any insurance at all or have right. really poor insurance and feel like they can't afford help. So we've spent this whole episode really talking about reaching out and talking to each other and networking and doing this. And at the end of the day, there may be people out there who just don't feel like they can open up um, you know, I know there's things like not one more vet. And again, we mentioned support for support and groups like that. But if you're like, I'm not ready to be vulnerable in my industry, or again, as I mentioned, you might need professional help. This might not just be a talk to your buddy about how you feel. If you are truly suffering from medical-based anxiety, medical-based depression, and there is an issue and you need professional help, it can be very hard to come by or you can feel as though it's hard to come by if you don't have insurance. Please remember and please keep in mind, there are sliding scale providers out there who can help um, accommodate you based on your financial situation. There are, um, as Dr. Cindy mentioned, the phone number to the Suicide Prevention Hotline and Suicide Awareness Hotline so that you can talk to someone at any point in any time of the day, 24 hours a day. There are actually text message-based apps that you can use to help prevent suicide where if you can't even bring yourself to talk um, about, about it in words, if you can just type out a message that you need help. You can be provided. And there are also, in this beautiful day and age of technology, actually therapy-based programs online that you can have online therapy. So you can't say time is even an issue. I don't even have time to go to a mental health provider because it is out there. There is a resource for everybody, and there's an affordable resource for everyone. So please don't let any of those um, barriers or, or seemingly barriers stop you because this is not a matter of going out and paying for an expensive psychologist, there's professional help available to everyone. Yeah, and I'd like to echo that. I was recently speaking with a psychologist who who is now specializing in medical health care professionals and depression and suicide and substance abuse. And she was emphasizing to me this, two things. One, she said, be very cautious of some of these Facebook types of groups where people just go and share everything. She says, sometimes those are actually making matters much, much worse. Uh, she felt like you, Becky, that they really needed professional guidance in almost all instances because she said you don't know when you're going to trigger that next phase. 
The second thing was, she said, listen, these talk therapies that are going on virtually, anonymously in some instances, are really, really helpful. So if you're listening today, just start Googling. I mean, there are a ton of resources as Becky laid out. We will have links to some of the, the veterinary ones uh, in our show notes. But you know, in this day and age, I think you've got so many options. So please, please take advantage. And, and it comes down, there's a resource for everyone. Again, in this technology age, you can even um, text the word CONNECT to 741-741 and start a text message conversation if you need help. Well, you've heard what we have to say about this very troubling topic, veterinary support staff suicides. Now we want to hear from you. What are you experiencing? Are you seeing that your support team members are struggling as well? Please share the information that you have so we can understand more about the scope of this problem or share solutions that you found for your support team members. Uh, You can reach out to us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. Please also leave us a review that helps make sure that we can reach other veterinary professionals if you found this useful to you or tag us and share us with friends you know who love podcasts too. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, if you want somebody to talk to, please call one 800 273 talk. Bye. Bye. Bye.